0: To the Anxiety Book Club. This is episode number 31, and I'm very, very excited to welcome this month's guest, Dr. Richard Schwartz, or Dick, Dick Schwartz, um, who's a family therapist, writer, academic, author, wrote wrote this month's book, but most importantly, the founder of IFS, Internal Family Systems. It's a way of doing therapy that's very interesting and um, you know, many, many guests may not have heard of it, uh, but I have heard of it, and i am just got so many questions. So, uh, Dick, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Josh. Look forward to it.
0: Totally. So, yeah, I was recommended this, uh, the modality by a friend of mine, because she knew I was into mindfulness. And she's like, oh, you, you know, you might like this. And I was like, okay, I'll put it on the back burner, and then I'll get around to it at some point. But then I started reading the book, which is, you know, the title is No Bad Parts, and the subtitle is Healing Trauma and Restoring Wholeness with the Internal Family Systems Model. And I'm just, you know, my mind's getting blown page after page. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks for writing it.
1: Thanks. I'm so glad you like it. It was a labor of love.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was. You've been at this. Uh, when did when did uh, <laughs> Internal Family Systems uh, get underway?
1: Well, I'm old, and I've been at this a long time, so I first started to learn it from my clients um, about 1981, if you can believe that, and uh, it congealed into a a system probably two years later, and so I've been at it ever since then.
0: Yeah, I think what makes the book really rich is that there's so many examples because, you know, there's a lot of theory and uh, sort of a description of the world that IFS, um, you know, understands and, and projects. But there's so many examples of the clients that you've worked with uh, that really makes the text come alive. Now, I, I don't know if I would do it justice. Do you want to just briefly introduce this audience that might not be familiar with with IFS? What What is it?
1: So it. It originated as a form of psychotherapy, and it's become uh, sort of a life practice with spiritual aspects to it, which might interest your audience. And should I go into a kind of intro about it? Yeah, please. Sure. So, yeah, back in the early 80s, I was uh, trying to prove that family therapy was the bomb. I have a PhD in that. And. I really thought we'd found the holy grail. And so decided to do an outcome study to prove it with bulimia. The time was a relatively new diagnosis on the scene. And so we gathered together 30 kids and their families and did our family therapy and it didn't work. And out of frustration, I began asking my clients, what was wrong? Why are they continuing to binge and purge? And they started talking this very strange language at the time to me of parts. And they'd say, you know, if something bad happens, this critic attacks me. And that brings up a part that feels really worthless and empty and alone and young. And that feeling is so dreadful that to the rescue comes the binge and takes me away but then the binge triggers the critic who's now calling me a pig on top of the other names to me as a family therapist. First I was disturbed because it sounded like these kids were sicker than I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they had multiple personality disorder or something because they were talking about these things as if they had a lot of autonomy and they had relationships with each other. (laughs) And it was like a whole little world inside. And then I started listening to myself and oh my God, I've got them too. And so then I just got curious and, uh, long story short, discovered the hard way, actually, that they aren't what they seem and that they're really very valuable aspects of us that were forced out of their naturally valuable states by trauma and by what's called attachment injuries into roles they don't like but think are still necessary to keep you safe. And that blew my mind, you know, when I started asking these critics and the binging parts and then other diagnosed people started getting, trying to get them to listen to rather than hate and fight with the parts of them that were causing their problems. And over and over you just heard the same story that they were just trying to keep the client safe. They thought, often thought the client was still very young and needed that kind of protection and uh, hated their jobs. So it's really a matter of uh, at some point, uh, which is a longer story, I just, rather than than getting my clients to fight with them or try to get rid of them, I, I got my clients to get curious about them. And lo and behold, they loved being listened to, because everyone had demonized them and tried to get rid of them. So after years of exploring like that, I concluded, which is the conclusion we still have, that it's the nature of the mind to be multiple that way, to have what we, we call parts. Other systems call them other words. And that it's actually a good thing, that they all have valuable qualities and resources to help us in our lives. But as I said, they're forced out of their valuable states into roles. And and this is very similar. This is partly why I call it internal family systems because what you find in family systems is that kids are forced out away from their naturally valuable states by the dynamics of the family such that they act out and they do it to protect themselves or to protect other family members. And family therapy's big insight was you can't take one of those kids out and just tell them to cut it out. You've got to reorganize things in the family and liberate him from that role, at which point he'll become who he's designed to be. it turns out the same thing is true with these internal families and that's that's a very interesting and different understanding of all of these kinds of uh, inner polarizations and problems
0: yeah yeah it is quite different um both in sort of the world that's being described here and also like you said that you know other Maybe psychologies or ways of thinking about the mind might demonize or consider, you know, different parts uh, to be unhelpful or or things that should be gotten rid of um, instead of listened to or, or cared for. That's
1: right, and spiritualities too. Most spiritualities don't like some parts; they, they like some, but they don't like others.
0: Right, like maybe some more rigid sort of maybe Christian spiritualities might think that sexuality or other sort of lustful, uh, I guess, desires might be in the bad category.
1: Yeah, but also, you know, Buddhism has an attitude about the ego, quote-unquote, in general, not some schools of Buddhism, but the ego is some kind of pest that you're supposed to tame. And, uh, you know, most every spiritual tradition I've studied has some kind of scapegoat mm part.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, I definitely want to get to that. That stuff's really interesting. I, I think what's important to talk about, there's a lot to talk about here. One of the things I think that's important to talk about is how to understand this world that you're describing. And then another thing that that's very interesting to talk about is, you know, once we get over that, like how to think about it, how to believe in it, you know, what happens, you know? What happens when we treat our parts with care? When we provide them leadership? When we listen to them? And then this other stuff we're talking about, how it, you know, compares and contrasts with other belief systems, is also interesting. But I wanna, I wanna tackle the first one first because, as as someone who's, you know, sort of late to the study and practice of minds, you know, um, I'm, and just naturally, I'm a skeptical person. And I think skeptical as you were in the beginning when you met these bulimic patients and they were describing things to you with so much agency and autonomy and relationships and preferences, you know, with them being in roles that they don't like. It's a it's a big pill, I think, to swallow because it it, cr- it creates such a detailed and descriptive view of what we ordinarily think is just, you know, a bunch of noodles between our ears. <laughs> um, but I, I think I understood as I read more of the book that it's fair, I think, as you call yourself a pragmatist, it's fair to treat things as metaphor, I guess, if that helps you. But I guess it'll be up to the reader, perhaps, to decide whether or not they're interested in getting to some truth about the existence of these parts, or or merely taking them for what they are, which is a perhaps a useful device for healing. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, well, that's what I thought in the beginning. I, I started out thinking of them as uh, very useful metaphors. In fact, I think it was maybe 81 or 82, there was a local woman in the Chicago area named Sandra Watanabe who developed something called the Internal Cast of Characters. And Because I was stumbling into this stuff, I went to listen to her. And at the end, I came up to her and said, you don't think these things are real, do you? And she said, oh, no, no, they're very real. And I walked away thinking, wow, how naive, boy. But as I stayed with it and and, uh, stayed curious without uh, a lot of presumption, I came to that conclusion as well. They're quite real. And uh, that's a tough sell. But it is like there's this other inner world that just has its own laws of physics and relationships, and uh, it's the same world that a lot of shamans traverse.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just recently got to that part in the book where you you talk about that as... uh... That coming up, especially you know, there's there's examples in here of your work with various people. There's examples of your work with these two uh, social or environmental activists, where things happen in their imagination that you know resemble supernatural or otherworldly um, kind of phenomena.
1: Uh huh. But but again, I I I really uh, am careful about the word imagination because it implies they're making it up and if you were to ask them or you ask anybody that does this work it's not something they're making up it's really just something they're participating in that exists
0: sure sure yeah and i, I don't really want to get hung up on this uh you know debate about uh because because the pod this podcast is about helping people you know and and so you know whatever lies at the bottom uh i guess of all of this um <laughs> I, you know, I've been able to find use use for myself and I've been able to experience, you know, some discussions, you know, amongst my parts, so.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't insist that people, um, in, especially in the beginning, believe in their absolute reality and I encourage people to just explore and see for themselves. But when you go to work with them, Either when you're a therapist to somebody or you're working on your own, it really helps the process to believe that they're real. And then once you stop, you can go back to the metaphor thing if you want.
0: Mm. Once you stop working with them, you mean?
1: Yeah. Once, you know, if you're doing a session, you're going to treat them with much more compassion and curiosity if you think of them as not metaphors. (laughs) If you think of them as little inner beings, you're gonna try to get to know them like you would somebody who is suffering, mm-hmm. and you you would f- find ways to help them and all that, which you wouldn't do if you just think it's a metaphor that you're imagining it.
0: Yeah. So even uh, from a practical point of view, uh, there's usefulness in that belief. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so the book describes. Um, you know, this world. And there's, there's some ideas that weave their way through a lot of it, which is like these protector parts, which are responsible for keeping us safe. But in our adult life may hinder our ability to like live life the way that we want to. So can you say a little bit about what, what the protectors are and what their, their aim is?
1: Yeah. So, um, step back a little bit and just say that uh, IFS has become a, a very prominent model for working with trauma because traumas have the impact of forcing these parts from their valuable states into some of them become protectors and then others become the protected who also are locked away, exiles, the word I use. And just to elaborate a little bit. So when you had a trauma in your life, especially when you were young, uh, there were parts of you that got hurt the most or shamed or terrified. And those parts tend to be these will be some people call inner children who before they got hurt, are open and loving and uh, playful and creative, and we'd love to be with them. But they're also the most sensitive parts of us so that the extreme beliefs and emotions that come from the trauma attach to them the most. So rather than being these delightful inner children, they suddenly become this bearer of the pain of the trauma or the terror of this worthlessness, and they have now the power to make you feel all that, to overwhelm you, because they also are frozen in time, usually during the trauma, and they can pull you back into those scenes and make you feel as bad as you felt when it happened. And so we almost naturally tend to, and everybody around us tells us to, lock them away and inside in inner basements or abysses or cysts and let let it all go. You know, the rugged individual United States motto mm-hmm. is don't look back, just move on. You can't change what happened. Kind of forget about it. And in the process of trying to move on from the memories, sensations, emotions, and beliefs, we're actually abandoning the parts of us that were most hurt and who, who contain our most precious qualities, actually, simply because they got hurt. And when you get a lot of exiles, you feel much more delicate, and the world is much more dangerous because so many things could trigger them. And if they get triggered, it's like an explosion of flames of emotion threaten to overwhelm you and, and pull you back into those scenes. And so other parts are forced out of their naturally valuable states to become protectors and some of them do it by trying to control everything in the inside world and the outside world so they control your relationships so no one gets close enough to hurt you again control your appearance so you don't get rejected control your performance they often are these inner critics we love to hate Uh, there's a whole bunch of different common manager roles we call it so they're managing manager protectors. They're they're trying to, and they also have the power to numb you, so you don't feel much, if they want to, or keep you in your head, so you don't feel your body much. So, and they're all, again, just trying to preempt anything that might trigger these exiles. But the world has the world has a way of breaking through those defenses and triggering your exiles anyway at which point it does feel like a big crisis, like you are being pulled back into being a little terrified child. And so there's another set of parts who have to go immediately into action to deal with a crisis and somehow put out the fire of the exile's emotions or get you higher than the flames or douse the flames with some substance. And we call these firefighters for that reason. And We all have, if we have a lot of exiles, we all have firefighter activities. That is, sort of impulses we get when we feel any of that pain or shame or terror. And and, uh, we'll go get drunk or we'll uh, do drugs or we'll go get some stuff or binge on food like my original clients or, you know, we all have our firefighter activities And do it until you're sort of away from those feelings again. And uh, so that's the map. It's pretty simple. It's really just Mm -hmm. three different parts, two of whom are protectors. The managers and the firefighters both share the goal of containing the exiles and keeping them from getting triggered, but often do it in opposite ways. The firefighters take you out of control don't care about the collateral damage to your body or relationships. They just think they've got to get you away from that those flames or you're going to die. Whereas the manager trying to keep you in control and please everybody. So there are built-in polarizations between those two groups.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it actually is a really clear description of it. I, I think I get it now. Um, yeah, I know for me personally, I fight a lot of fires by eating. Uh
1: huh. Um, I did too. I I uh, did a lot of work around that. Now I don't anymore, but I did for a long time.
0: hmm Yeah, it's. I guess what's <laughs> what's so interesting about the theory is that it's like a total theory. Like it, you know, if true and if effective, like it. I. It just seems like very powerful, right? Like this is the lay of the land. This is the char- cast of characters in the head. If we do the work not saying it'll be easy work, but if we do the work of, you know, bringing the exiles, you know, back into the fold or integrating, as I guess you might say, then, you know, maybe not uh, happy days ahead all the time, but at least improvements in how often we feel, I guess, dysregulated.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really does work. We have outcome studies to prove it. Um, so, yeah, it it, it, it does You know, in contrast to the DSM or, you know, uh, all kinds of other ways of understanding people, it's also quite empowering because it gives very clear guidelines to people about how they can shift and many people can actually do it on their own.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I'm, you know, so I suffer from OCD and anxiety and we talk a lot on this podcast about those things. Uh And, uh, you know, so if you go to see an OCD therapist and you tell them, you know, I wash my hands too much, they'll, you know, run you through like a series of exposures where, you know, they're looking at limiting this sort of, um, symptom, right? right? Like this out, out in the world action. Um, but I imagine IFS would take a very different tack. Totally different.
1: (laughs) that. For many clients, that, that particular approach is torture. Um, you know, Josh, if you wanted, we could get a little bit of a start on getting to know your OCD part a little bit. Yeah, if sure. We're up for that. Great. Uh, do, you want to, do Do your uh, listeners know about it, or do you want to say something about it?
0: Yeah, so I, I guess I would say what I've been able to identify... Through reading the book, is that I have a part that's very, very concerned with me making mistakes, uh-huh. um, and just gets really scared when uh, maybe I commit to something really scary or long term. I had a, I had trouble for a long time, you know, signing like a lease, a one year lease on an apartment because it felt sort of suffocating and terrifying. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I experience ROCD, you know, in relationships. So anything where the stakes seem really high, uh, the the inner critic is really scared and upset at uh, mistakes involving like sort of these big commitments.
1: Okay, so you've got a critic who's writing you about it, and then it sounds like there's parts that are terrified too.
0: Yeah, I think there's parts that are very like I I once made like a really what I I consider to be a very bad relationship mistake and i faced the wrath of my critic for months i you know there was like lots of suicidal ideation and um i think there's parts of there's a part of me that is very scared of the, the wrath of that critic yeah
1: all right let's start with the critic then if you're up if you're up for it sure all right josh so focus on it and just see where it seems to be broadcasting from in your body or around your body
0: Yeah, yeah. I think if I was going to pinpoint it, I might say it's uh, maybe forehead or neck areas. Okay,
1: good. And as you notice it there, how do you feel toward it? You just said you're kind of terrified of it, but any other feelings toward it?
0: Um, there's a sense of familiarity. You know, um, I've been working with it for a while. Right. Um, so.
1: Yeah. So, a warm sense of familiarity, or just oh, there it is again. There's
0: warmth there, but there's also a there's also a skepticism that I even fully know it uh, in all of its you know possible uh-huh. fury.
1: <laughs> okay. So we're gonna ask any parts of you that really fear it to just relax for a little while and let us get to know it in a different way the goal of helping it maybe not have to do this job so much and just see if all those parts that uh, really are scared of its fury could just go maybe they could even go into a kind of inner waiting room inside that's safe till we're done
0: mm, yeah it feels like a big ask but uh, i get that
1: yeah just um let them know i know what i'm doing i've done this many many times with these kinds of ferocious critics and i i uh, won't do any i won't make mistakes with it
0: mm. that's a nice guarantee yeah okay yeah there's some willingness here
1: okay so focus on it again and tell me how you feel toward it now
0: um Yeah, I feel feel a bit vulnerable, Um, uh, but also, you know, maybe close to something.
1: Okay. Um, Do you feel open, though, to getting to know this critic?
0: Yeah, I definitely feel uh, more connected. I don't know if this is the self, but I definitely feel...
1: It is the self, that's right.
0: Yeah, I feel like some guards are down.
1: Okay. So let this critic know that, that you're open to it, you feel more connected to it, and you want to get to know it better. And ask what it wants you to know about itself. And don't think of the answer, Josh. Just wait for an answer to come from that place in your body.
0: Yeah, I I think I'm feeling mostly self. I'm not sure if the critics uh you know making himself known, I think I'm just enjoying feeling oh, okay, kind of connected
1: here. Okay, well, let me just see if the critic would talk to me directly for a second.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And I'll just ask questions and just see what comes out of your mouth. Sure. So are you there? Are you willing to talk to me?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: So you can be pretty hard on Josh, is that right? Definitely. And you do this to him all the time, or just when he when the stakes are high?
0: Yeah, just when. Well, sometimes he'll you know uh, sort of spend his time unwisely, and I'm I'm there for that. Uh Um, but I, you know, I'm more of a, just a small pest there. Uh, So you bring out the the big
1: guns when the stakes are
0: high. When the stakes are high, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, time to be, you know, punished or just really um, lots of shouting is occurring.
1: Okay. And what are you afraid would happen if you didn't do that to him?
0: Well, I just think he'd he would ruin everything. Um as he has he has done so and I just don't want to see him, you know, get hurt.
1: Okay, so you're just really trying to keep him safe, it sounds like Huh.
0: Yeah, I um Yeah, I don't well, I, I guess I'm somewhat afraid that if he messes up he'll just you know, happiness will somehow be kind of out of reach and, in, a, in a kind of permanent way.
1: Okay, so it sounds like you have two goals. One is to keep him safe, and the other is to help him find happiness.
0: I think that's fair.
1: Okay. And uh, it sounds like he, does, <laughs> he doesn't really appreciate that you're trying to help him.
0: Uh yeah, I think he thinks I I cause more harm than good.
1: Okay. So that can't feel good, right?
0: Um to, to the critic, to me, the yeah, critic. Yeah, to you
1: as the critic. I mean you've got feelings too, right?
0: <sighs> yeah. Um Yeah, I wanna you know, I wanna feel like my Opinions are worth hearing,
1: okay, all right, so you'd like it if he would he would be more respectful and listen to you more
0: yeah i I think he can be shrill, you know with me and uh just really doesn't want to invite any kind of conversation
1: oh, okay um, he's just in the habit of trying to tune you out. Yeah. All right, so anything else you want me to know before I go back to him?
0: Um, Yeah, maybe just like, I don't know, this is kind of a scary thought, but maybe just let him know that not everything I have to say is is wrong or bad and you know.
1: I would definitely help them see that. What's it been like to talk to me? Uh
0: it's it feels like a lot. I feel this very strong I don't know, feeling in my chest.
1: And what's the feeling?
0: Yeah, almost like it's kinda of hard to breathe.
1: Okay. So, uh, so just focus there. And can you get curious about what's happening there?
0: Yeah, it just kind of feels like there's sort of like a direct line to something that, normally spends its time a few layers back,
1: yeah, it's probably one of these exiles I was talking about. How are you feeling toward it right now?
0: I feel I feel curious because i don't I don't feel this way normally, and I'm just I'm not <laughs> I don't know what this is.
1: okay. So go ahead and ask that part in your chest. What it is what it wants you to know about itself, and don't think. just wait and see what comes back to you.
0: Yeah, it uh, it feels like whatever it is, it uh, it hasn't been visited in a very very long time
1: and does it want you to visit it? Is that why it came up?
0: Yeah, it's I think it it's it wants me to take care of it or be seen in some way.
1: Okay. And how do you feel toward it as you hear that?
0: I mean, I it's not the critic and, and so I'm I'm in the habit of you know wanting to take care of myself and you know if, if there's something here that's you know, needing me, I'm. you know, I'm all for, you okay, know, being good. there for good, it. Okay,
1: good, good, good. But before we proceed, just check with the critic and make sure it's okay that we're doing this and just see if it'll give us permission.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm seeing the critic sort of bemused with its hands crossed or arms crossed, just... Uh, skeptical, but, you know, very willing to, you know, stand aside and see, you know, what kind of show, you know, he'll be able to witness.
1: (laughs) That's all we're asking is that he give us the space to do something with this exile. So tell him we appreciate that. Okay. And then let this part in your chest know that you do want to care for it. You do care about it you want to help it and just see how it reacts
0: yeah I think there's another part here um, that's arrived I'm not sure if it's relevant but uh, yeah I was distracted briefly by the temperature in my apartment so I turned the heat on and then I noticed this very common OCD part which was like oh you changed the environment you're messing this up you know. <laughs> yeah um, so
1: we're going to ask that guy to just really give us some space to try this, we get that it's nerve-wracking for that part to let us, and it'll find all kinds of distractions, and it doesn't have to let us, but if it does let us, there might be something we can do that'll be actually good for all your parts.
0: Yeah, okay, I think it's it's been pacified.
1: Okay, go ahead. And go back to this part in your chest, and again, just see what it wants you to know about itself.
0: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. It's a little sad that it's taken so long for it to be noticed
1: yeah so let, maybe you could apologize to it for not trying to get to it sooner or not getting to it sooner you can understand its sadness and see mm. see how it re- reacts to your apology
0: yeah i'm sorry i'm i am sorry i haven't uh you know, paid enough attention to this kind of inner world that includes such such tender beings.
1: And how does it react?
0: You know, I think it's it's uh, it's inclined, you know, to to trust me, but it's very much only sort of waking up to the idea that it it's being listened to with you know with grace good uh, yeah yeah
1: so we're gonna go nice and slow and so just let it know that's true you are listening to it that way and you're gonna keep doing that and at it's you know at the pace it feels okay about just see what it wants more of what it wants you to know about itself
0: Yeah, I think it it wants to reiterate that it's been locked away for a long time. Okay.
1: Yeah, and ask what that's been like for it.
0: Yeah, I, I think it, it feels, you know, voiceless. Um uh-huh. like it, it hasn't had the opportunity to even have wants. Right. Um,
1: yeah so what is it like for it to have a voice right now
0: yeah I think it's interesting to it Uh, it's regarding this opportunity with some interest Uh, you know it's not used to being asked
1: good As I say, we're just going to be really patient and go at its pace. There's no pressure for it to share anything.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what it wants, but I think, you know, it it wants love, you know, and attention.
1: Okay. And how are you feeling toward it now?
0: I, I feel, uh, you know, I feel optimistic that this thing that I've never really contacted, I might, you know, over time get to know better
1: so is that your intention
0: yes i would love that i i would love that
1: so let it know now that you've met it you are gonna keep coming back and get to know it and help it and see how it reacts
0: yeah my my chest is so alive uh That's great yeah I think it's eager it's eager to be heard and it's it's curious about this relationship that we might develop
1: good yeah I'd ask it how old it thinks you are
0: yeah I, I, I don't know I'm I feel sheepish about this but I'm feeling like it It thinks I'm five or something young like that. Yeah.
1: Don't be sheepish. That's usually the case. So maybe let it know that you're older than that and you can help it more than you could when you were five. You can handle more than you could back then too. See if it can believe you.
0: yeah it's uh it's I think it's still in a bit of shock that we're even speaking to it uh-huh um, but it it definitely feels like a very young part
1: good and do you have a sense of how close you are to it in terms of feet away in there
0: yeah it feels pretty small so i'm i'm guessing it's 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 not it's a it's small so it's you know probably a good twenty feet it's it's not right here it's it's feels like it's in some kind of deep well
1: okay uh, and josh is it possible to get closer to it without without uh scaring it
0: Yeah, I think, I think maybe it's a little bigger now. It, it wasn't. It wasn't counting on. It wasn't expecting that kind of uh, closeness. I guess.
1: Yeah, is it scared of that, or is it feeling good about it?
0: I think it's scared.
1: Okay, so tell it that you can back away, and you don't want to freak it out. Your job is to earn its trust over time. Let's see how it reacts.
0: Yeah, I think it's glad that I'm not rushing in too quickly.
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, so, you know, I'm assuming that it wants you to keep visiting it. And ask it how often it would like you to do that, to just come and extend this kind of compassion to it every day or how often.
0: I, I think maybe weekly. Um, and I think it wants to, I don't know if this is right, but it wants somehow to like have a name or yeah. somehow for me to be able to call on it again yeah, or, good, or uh, access it.
1: Perfect. Ask what name it would like.
0: I don't know. I'm kind of seeing the word Jeremy.
1: Okay. <laughs> How does that sound to you, Josh? Are you willing to call him that?
0: I think that's fine.
1: All right. So tell him that on a weekly basis you're going to call him out and just hang with him this way and see how that sounds to him.
0: Yeah, I think he's excited.
1: Good. Okay. Yeah, I'm,
0: good. I'm rubbing my chest, and I think that's helping.
1: Yeah, he likes that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. He's, he's familiar with that sort of act of compassion.
1: Uh-huh, great. Okay, so before we stop, let's go back to the critic and just see how he's reacting to this.
0: Yeah, he's pretty quiet. Um, I think he's he's maybe not around. I think he's not he's not too uh, you know triggered in one way or the other
1: okay but just ask him if he'll let you go back to Jeremy
0: like in the future you mean yeah yeah he's a little scared but I, I think he's willing Okay, good. I think I've worked with him more than anyone else, and he has some respect for my age and Uh capacities.
1: Good. Okay. So uh, does that feel like a place where we could stop?
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank your parts. Thank you, and... Then just shift your focus back outside.
0: Yeah, that's, that was really, <laughs> it's, just felt like I was in a sort of different environment for a while.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, like I was saying, it's it's a different world that's, that's real and exists in there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very different place.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um, I had an experience not quite that deep, but I I started reading the book right before I went on a, a silent retreat. And, you know, once I had that idea in my head of the parts, um, you know, I, I, it's kind of one of those ideas that once it... Once it's in there, it's kind of hard to forget. And I was uh, I was leaving a meditation and I was on my way to go eat lunch. And uh, I noticed that I was feeling bad about something. Um, and you get very sensitive during these retreats because, you know, everything comes out and there's no distractions right. and, and all that. And I noticed that uh, this part I've been cultivating, like this sort of compassionate part, went to go soothe this part that felt upset. Um, but as soon as I did that, the critic came out and was just so sort of disgusted with how often it seemed that uh, it needed soothing. Um, and so I kind of just sat down, I closed my eyes there in the lunch hall. And they they had a bit of a, uh, a talk, you know, about how one The critic is upset that it's constantly, you know, in this sort of pathetic kind of way, needing to have solace offered to a part, and then this other part being sort of annoyed that the critic wasn't more patient with it. Uh And uh, I swear they were able to shake hands and reach some agreement to be a little more mutually sensitive. Uh Um, And my, my anxiety about that issue, just it went away, and I felt really present uh, and really connected to I think what you would call the self
1: beautiful yeah you've, you've uh, you're good at doing it on your own so I would really encourage you to keep it up
0: yeah it's been it was a lot easier then when I was on retreat than it is in the daily oh
1: no, that's right
0: <laughs> the noise of life
1: but it 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 is really important especially since you made that commitment to not uh, forget to meet with that exile. Uh, you know, minimally once a week.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it in my to-do list. Good,
1: good, good, <laughs> in your calendar. Yeah.
0: This is such um. I I don't know if the word spooky is right, but this is such sort of, such kind of magical deep work. It, it's. It's really not something I'm used to doing you know and for hard nosed skeptics like myself it's it's uh it feels very novel um,
1: yeah well as you can imagine I've uh, I've met many many I was one myself so it makes it easier but many many skeptics about it
0: totally totally <laughs> wow we've uh yeah I have all these questions, but we've already done so much. Um, if you want, I can hang a little longer. I'm fine. Yeah, maybe we just talk briefly about the the meditation stuff. So, you know, I know there's there's some criticism in here about some of the Buddhist practices, but I also noticed that you know Jack Cornfield is one of the endorsers of the book, um, and and I know that even though you'll find some sort of Vipassana or meditation teachers that are really just focused on getting you to notice your breath, um, there's a lot in that world around compassion, I I guess. Um, Although maybe they don't know exactly where to direct the compassion. Yeah, that um, is true. Which the part's work does. But do you want to just say a little bit about the tension there?
1: Yeah. um, Most Buddhist schools... Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh who just died aside don't think of these as parts they think of them as the monkey mind or the you know the ego and they have pejorative feelings toward it toward a lot of the managers in particular and i'm a kind of crusader for the personhood of parts so whenever i see that i try to speak out about it and meditations are a lot easier and and deeper, if you don't try to shoo away your parts, these little, you know, managers that are trying to keep on keep track of everything you got to do in the day, want to keep think, reminding you of that, and they get a real bad reputation in the spiritual world. But if you just go to them respectfully, let them know you get how much they they want to protect you right now, but if they give you twenty-minute break, then you'll be better able to help them. They don't mind that; they can they can just uh, chill for a while. Totally. So it's just a very different idea about how to relate to your inner world.
0: Yeah, amazing. So yeah, before I let you go, for for interested. Uh, listeners who want to find out more about you or about IFS or about how to how to get started besides, you know, I think the, the No Bad Parts book is probably a good introduction, but what, what would you offer them?
1: Yeah, No Bad Parts probably the best place to start, although our website, uh, which is ifs-institute.com, In our store, we have other intro books, one, oddly enough, called The Introduction to Internal Family Systems, and then a book called You're the One You've Been Waiting For, which is about how it applies to couples. And uh, yeah, and then there's some videos. And there are videos on, uh, on YouTube. And so there's a lot of material if people are interested.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for your contribution here, um, Dick. And how do you feel about how IFS has aged and how it's being embraced?
1: Well, uh, you're probably too young to know what this means, but, you know, if you live long enough, everybody gets their 15 minutes. So right now, IFS is very hot. We've got thousands of people on our waiting list for trainings, which is it drives me crazy, but it's also a good problem to have. Uh, that feels really good. It feels like it's been a long 40 years, but finally uh, a lot of people are getting on the bandwagon and and uh, I'm hoping that there's enough momentum that we can actually take it out of just psychotherapy and, and bring more change to the culture and uh, more and more leaders of different different sorts are attracted to it now and are starting to use it so that's all scratching this itch that's been in there for 40 years
0: Mm -hmm. cool very cool well i don't want to take up any more of your time i i really appreciate uh you know your contributions in the book and 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 the work we did here together today that was um a little bit unexpected but very powerful and i think uh uh healing so yeah thank you
1: you're welcome josh and i really appreciate your being a good sport about the work particularly given your skeptical parts so uh and i feel very respected by by your tone and so on
0: sure thanks thanks so much
1: you're welcome